No, no, you have been doing well. I mean, just based on kind of what you've said over the past couple of weeks about trying to fix your sleep schedule and it's tough, man. It's, it's so much of it's, uh, it's just psychology, but also just habits and it's, uh, it's a mess. It's a lot of the bad habits, especially since uh, I realized that what I was doing a lot of the time was I just had an elongated de-stressing period right before bed. And that's really what I was doing. So I'd fin- I'd work and I'd work really late, but then I had a certain period where I had to have at least an hour of de-stress time where I'm trying to do something else and trying to get my brain out of work mode. Yeah. And um, when I started this new schedule of trying to get to bed at a certain time and trying to avoid things like, you know, YouTube or Netflix before I go to bed, um, I lost that de-stress period. Um, I added in some reading to that, um, but... I'm still screwing myself because I'm reading technical books. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not reading. I need I need to uh, fill my library up with some just casual fictional reading that doesn't mean anything um, just to get my brain not because what I do is I read these technical books and I start trying to apply that to my day or apply that to something that I'm thinking about. Yeah. So my brain is still just working and I want it not to work. Yep. So have you reduced the amount you're working, you know, like after business hours? <sighs> I try to. I try to set up this time where after dinner and right when the kids are going to bed, I allot like an hour or two. When just, so when your kids are going to bed, you you work? Kind of. Hmm. <laughs> well, I need time. So what, what, I, what I planned was I'd have my work schedule during the day. And then in the evening, I would um, try to plan for my next day so that I'm a little more prepared for the next day of what I have to get done and hopefully – you know, I have a task list that I clear out every every day and then I repopulate it with everything kind of as, as an exercise of this is what I think I can get done tomorrow. Yeah. Um, if I don't get it done, then it gets cleared out and I, I add it back into the list. I know I could keep it on there and just keep adding stuff, but to me that felt like I just kept growing this list of things to do. Yeah. And that wasn't the point of this task list. This task list is just a very simple thing of things I want to get done tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do my best to clear it out, but it doesn't always happen that way. So I, I tried this mode of I'm going to plan my day for the next day. I'm going to make sure my timesheets are in and, and updated for, you know, because I've been kind of getting lazy about that too. Timesheets. I mean, I have a timer that I run and everything, but I also have to manually enter some of this stuff into other systems, you yeah. know, depending on who I'm working with. Um, so I'm trying to get that taken care of because at the end of the week or Friday or Saturday or something, I'm just on Don't a you mad love dash. hourly billing, John? I hate it. <laughs> But I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's what I'm trying to do. It, it's been working for the most part. I mean, I am getting a little more sleep. I, I'm still kind of getting up quite a bit in the evening or too early sometimes, mm. and that kind of messes with me. But I don't know. I figured you just got to commit to something and keep going until it becomes the norm, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think it, <clears throat> I think it's, it takes a while. I mean, you have, to, you have to break bad habits, form new habits. I mean, you really have to train your your digestive schedule, your sleep schedule, your oh, yeah. psychological schedule. It's like, it, it's, it's actually, there's a lot of stuff going on. Some people are really good at it and they don't even have to work at this at all. And some people have to, I think you and I are closer to the other, other end of the spectrum and we really have to work. I mean, and the, this is all the, of these systems of our body and our mind like have to be just, they don't want to change. They want to do their own thing. And I think I have that. What's the disorder called where like, I, th- I think a natural day to me would be about a 30-hour day. Mm. <clears throat> I want to stay awake longer, and I want to sleep longer. Yeah. Of course, nowadays, getting old, I, I can't sleep anymore. That's, an- that's another problem I've had. Even if no one was waking me up, I don't think I can sleep more than about six and a half, seven hours. Yeah, I feel like I'm a lighter sleeper these days where I'll hear a noise, and then I have to get up and check the house for some reason. 
It could be like my you, kids went to the restroom and that woke me up and now I'm like laying there hearing noises. And, or you think you left your coffee machine on so you go home <laughs> to check on it and it turns out that uh, it was not on. <laughs> Does that happen often? You're that, sleeping at the no. office and you forget so to left your coffee machine. time. Yeah. No, it's yeah. funny you bring up the the body thing because I have part of my schedule is getting up earlier. And unfortunately, I have a morning bathroom routine. I'm going to try to keep this as non as TM yeah. as non TMI as possible, but I have like this normal thing. But for me, when I go to the bathroom, I need privacy. Like if I could, I would like build a bunker underneath my house that I would climb into with like five inch steel doors, uh. like three levels deep. I mean, that's how private I am about my bathroom time. And usually that's not a problem because I'll get up later and that's when my wife is is off taking the kids to school and that's like my my private time. I have the whole house to myself. John's poop time. <laughs> I said I wasn't going to go there, but when I get up earlier, everyone's still asleep. So it's just really messing with me psychologically that, that, because that's, that's my, when I wake up, that's my time to do my morning routine. Yep. And I can't because, uh, I feel like everyone in the house is listening to me. Right. <laughs> <Sounds> <laughs> <horrible>. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm kind of running ragged this week because my wife is out of town all week. So I'm, I'm Mr. Mom. So, you know, I'm up at six, you know, cooking breakfast dressing kids, getting kids out of uh, bed, yeah, wrangling kids, which is like hurting cats. I Are you guess. getting the, uh, that's not how mom does that stuff when you get them ready for bed or like, I, like I've had to do that a few times and I'm, I'm trying to brush her teeth or something and they're like fighting me and I'm like digging in their mouth and I'm always getting the feedback that that's not how mom does it. Oh really? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I mean, although I would definitely say my wife, I mean, she definitely, uh, does the, the, majority of all this type of stuff but i do mm -hmm. do the various things often enough that i'm they're used to me i'm used to them you know i know how things need to be done there's some things that i'm like what how do i do this like i'm trying to think what it was oh like i've been you know making their lunches and so i've been like you know what what God, what kind of lunches do they want you know because they've all got the you know i've got two boys and they both have their different preferences right and right so I, I hardly ever make their lunches. So, but no, I've been doing all that. And then, you know, cause they go to school at different times. So it's two different trips oh, from the house and, yeah, they, hard. and they get out of school at different times. So that's two different trips. So, I mean, literally, I mean, I've been getting maybe four hours of work in in a day. I mean, I have to leave here at what, at two. Yeah. And it's so, probably another thing to note is we're actually recording in the morning. Yeah. Yes. Which is unusual, which is probably why if we seem down key or just more chill or something. It's well, number one, I'm tired. <laughs> I'll be tired in the coffee until next week in yet. and the coffee is not kicked in. Yeah. Anyway, but, uh, well, uh, I tried to, speaking of, uh, I don't know, staying up late and whatever. I did not stay up late. So the, the iPhone went on sale at, I think 2 AM our time. So, t uh, midnight Pacific this morning, the iPhone 10, sorry. Oh, so you're, you're going for it. I didn't, well, I didn't stay up for it because I just, I can't do that. But this morning at like six or seven, I checked and it was already unavailable. I tried mm. to do the thing where I, I confirmed my eligibility to upgrade through this, you know, you're always giving Apple money yeah. uh, plan and I'm, I'm eligible. And then I continued on it. Let me pick a phone. And it's like, you can pick the iPhone 8 or the iPhone 10. Oh, wait, no, you can't pick the iPhone 10. The button's grayed out and it says, you know, unavailable. That's all it says. I, I'm kind of of the mind that I, I don't think anyone should buy the 10. I, I feel like it's a, I think it's a BS product with very little <sighs> to not, offer. That's not fair. Very, very little to offer over the eight. I feel like they punted 
on the technology, like the whole face recognition. I don't think they really wanted face recognition. I think they still want the fingerprint, but they couldn't figure out how to get it behind the screen yeah. without a button. I mean, I, I feel like this face thing, I, I'm, I am somewhat skeptical of it, but I also think that there's a, there's a, there is a chance that this will work out really well and having to put your thumb on it to open it will seem just as antiquated as the other things that, you know, as, um, I don't know, as a floppy disk or whatever. Yeah. I, I mean, I Apple has always been aggressive at killing off technologies and replacing them with other ones, right? You know, which of course we're still living through the USB C thing here, yeah. Which is still not, you know, and that's that's God, don't even get me started on the USB C thing because I a USB C world would be such a beautiful world, but we're not in that world yet. But our computers are. Well, even then, it's fragmented because we have Thunderbolt that's using the USB C connector. Yeah, well, and it has much, much. It has a higher capability than USB C. Like the whole reason. The whole reason there's a power difference, and be careful when you buy cables. I, did, I didn't mean to go down the right hole, but oh, finish your I was just going to say, when, when you buy cables, because I ran into this, is uh, the lap, the new MacBook Pros, they run on 80-watt power supply or something like that. But if USB-C can only push like 60 watts, so if you get like a USB-C cable, you're only going to get to push 60 watts to your computer, not 80 watts. But yeah, but unless you're like slamming all your cores and screens up the brightness and your, your speakers are blaring and you're, you know, got three different Ethernet connections, um, you're probably, you probably don't need 80 watts to keep, to at least keep your Your battery computer. maintained. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, I, that's what I'm doing right now. My screen is the 4K screen and it's, it's only USB-C and that's running 60 watts to my and I, When I use that monitor, I never had a problem. It would. While, well, even while using my computer, it would it's an, there was still enough power there. Well, to, to yours is it. getting the full eighty watts. I know. I'm saying when I use that one. Oh, remember when I used I used to use that one, the one you're using. Yep. No. I did. Didn't I? Mm-mm. Hmm. These are anyway. two. These are both brand new LGs. I got this one, and I gave you that one. I thought that. Um, no, nope. I thought I used that one before. Anyway. You were using the full 5K 80 watt version because yours is running off Thunderbolt. So, but do you ever have a problem with it? Don't, won't, it won't charge your computer? Yeah. No. So, I mean, it, it's just one of those things to note that yeah. now you've got this divide yeah. of cables and then there's also like versions of the cables and right. it's... or Just always buy the gold monster cables and you'll be fine. No, wait, don't. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> well, speaking of Apple, anyway. did you see that they Siri dropped uh, what, what Bing we done for before? searching? What, what were we talking about before in that? Oh, the, the iPhone? No, oh, no, oh uh, Siri, shut up. Face. Sorry, I, I triggered my phone. Oh, you're, you're rude to Siri. Jeez. You have issues, John. <laughs> Do we need to talk about this? I told you for a while there, I was really respectful of these technologies. Like I would talk to Alexa, or I'm sorry, I would talk to Echo. Cancel. I would talk to Echo a certain way. <laughs> and I was like being really polite. And I was like, this is a stupid machine. I don't have to be so polite. And I started being I rude. I think it reflects how you, uh, you you treat women. Like that's what it is. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think there's a good chance that the face thing might prove to be a solid technology. I, and just, I think we, you, it may uh, leave you not missing fingerprint technology at all. I don't know. And then that might be, I just, I just think overall, I don't think this was the anniversary phone that they really wanted to put out. I think they punted because they had to do something for it. I think there's a lot of things that they wish they could that have included. That would be an incorrect sports metaphor by John de Santiago. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> they, it was a, not, it's not a punt. It was more of a hail mary, right? It's like they. No, I don't. No, I think it's a punt. I think they. Yeah, I, I think they were down. The I think they were down, and they they just had to kind of punt it and put it on the other side and say, see if we liked it, see if we can do something with it. <laughs> okay. 
They're like, it's out of our hands. We just got to, we got to release this. If it was a Hail Mary, it'd be like, they put everything they could. They, they, they got rid of the plug and everything. And there's like no plugs. And it's got like maybe one button on it. That would be they like got, a Hail Mary okay. of well, they technology. Got, they went edge to edge screen and got, and got rid of. Oh, I call BS on edge to edge screen. There's a damn oh, notch yeah. at the top. It's not edge to edge screen. Wow. That's, That's another thing that pisses me off. I just I just feel like the more people spend on this kind of crap, Apple's going to be like, eh, they don't care. They'll buy it anyways. It's right. got so Apple logo on it. So you're saying it's it's a it's not a good feedback, a signal to Apple. It's not. It, it tells Apple that hey, just quit or continue making stuff that doesn't make sense, that pushes too fast, and we'll keep rewarding you by giving you tons un- of money. unnecessary percentages of my yeah, annual. Yeah, especially income. since that thing is a thousand dollars. I know. It's like I mean, come on, people. No, it's go only, buy a damn John, notebook. It's not a thousand dollars. It's only fifty one dollars a month. Oh. You're right. I forgot. I'm sorry. <laughs> just got to think of it in a... It's like, like a car dealership terms. Like, right. you go to a car ship, like, I want it to be this pr- this price. I'm like, no, no, don't worry about the price. How much do you want to pay a month? I'm like, no, I want it to be this price. I did my research. I want to buy this car with these features for this price. Well, how much do you want to pay a month? Shut up about the price a month. Just just pretend like you buy everything from Rent-A-Center. And... <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, anyway. Yeah. So, I don't know. I'll, hopefully I'll be able to order a phone at some point. I really don't need one. So if I can't get it for a long time, it doesn't matter. That's the other thing. I don't need one. There's nothing matter. it does for me. So why should I spend all that extra money? <clears throat> so, uh, oh, you had something you want to get to. So I guess go ahead. I was just a, a thing that, you know, I, I can't use these words. For the Apple assistant, there we go. Oh, yeah. Uh, they're going to use Google instead of Bing, which is, uh, I don't know, that's kind of interesting. And so, Oh, has it used Bing? It's been using Bing, yeah. Really? Yeah. Well, because Google's a big competitor, I so why so. would they use? So Google? they're switching to Google. Well, because there for a while there, there when Apple started to come out, or when Google really started gaining traction with Android. I mean, before they were using a bunch of Google stuff, like they had Google Maps, they had Google everything. Yeah. Um, and then there was a period where Google was really ramping up Android, and now they're even offering their own phones. And Apple started moving off of Apple yeah. uh, Google technology, but now it seems like they're like, eh, I'll just use it anyways. People yeah. want it. I mean, at some point you have to realize you're in a, it's a complicated world, right? Yeah. A lot of co-opetition. Yep. As, as they say. Mm. Uh, we had a birthday this week. Who did? You did? No. In the community. In the Ohana. Oh. In our, in our Ohana circle, we've had a birthday. The GDS Ohana? No, not GDS. Oh, okay. The, the larger Ohana? The larger Ohana. Okay. Yes. Uh, I think it was Monday. The 25th was Mark Benioff's birthday. Oh, yeah? yeah. Let me, do you know how old he turned? I have no idea. Okay. He, uh, he turned five billion. That's what he turned. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the the only number that matters. He's also getting a new award. Oh yeah, yeah. another award. This one's for like empowering women, I guess. Okay. Uh, let's see if I can find this. Uh, the Variety 2017 Empowerment Award will get will be given to Chairman and CEO of Salesforce Mark Benioff, who's worked it. worked to address. This is weird wording. Who has worked to address unexplained differences in pay between gender, race, and ethnicity among employees within the company? What does that mean? Unexplained differences? He, uh, I don't know, but he, well, because no one can explain them. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know how you did it, but you did it. So here's well, a, here's an award. That's not really what I meant, but um, <laughs> no, I mean this is the man that invented the women's surge, which, even though it sounds like a torture device for women, it's I don't think that's what it is. <laughs> And he also, you know, he, he he loves the lesbians, John. I give money to lesbians. Always <laughs> great to give you an opportunity to use the clips. Yeah. <laughs> I, I need some more uh, just general women clips. I don't mean to necessarily sing out the lesbians, but it's the closest thing I have to women. So <laughs> uh, so there's there's an article that uh, believes the same thing that you do about Benioff and his um, 
how he's able to get in front of things. Oh, really? So my my conspiracy theories are becoming validated. They are. <laughs> this one was. This is a Forbes article. So sorry. Um, but this is. This, the, I like this. See, I have not had time to do any news, and so you're, you've been <laughs> doing the news for me. You're my personal news. So aggregator. I'm, I'm keeping you informed. Yeah, I'm, I'm keeping Jeremy informed. So um, yeah. So this article was actually about uh, Equifax and the CEO. Of course, the CEO resigned recently. Uh, people are kind of pissed because he's still going to get his full uh, severance package. Oh, of course. Well, it's in the contract. It is. Can't yeah. break a contract. He's like, eh, I don't want to deal with this, so I'm I'm out. Yeah. I'll see you guys. Right. I'm gonna take my money and run. You're right. I mean he might then Borden might have asked him to resign too. Who, who knows? Yeah. I mean I think you have to have some kind of sacrificial lamb, right? You do, but I mean I wouldn't want to deal with that. I wouldn't either. I'm like, in fact, this was if I became my- a CEO like him, I would want some disaster to happen so I could invoke that go away money clause in my contract, and then I, I, I get then I get paid. And I don't have to work. Well, assuming you're ready to retire, like if if you want to be a CEO of another company, I don't. Dude, think- if I get the payday, I am retired. <laughs> that's not how it works. Some people are, are they have the money, but they want the power too. Well, that's I don't have that gene. Yeah. I'm, I'm so glad I don't have that. I do not need power. <laughs> I just need money. <laughs> So I'm going to try to paraphrase some of this because it, it's kind of broken up into two, two different paragraphs when it comes to this. But it's um, companies and executives best equipped to manage a crisis are those who have proactively shaped a positive public narrative for themselves. Um, so, again, that, 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 yeah, that comes it's back. It's a positive narrative. There's a, read that again. Uh, the companies and executives best equipped to manage a crisis are those who have proactively shaped a positive public narrative for themselves. Uh, it continues, there is a tendency to think of strategic positioning as a marketing effort. Some CEOs are even reticent to see their name in print, not wanting to appear, not wanting to appear, appear vain. <laughs> What's the opposite of that? <laughs> well, Benny off. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so another, another portion of this, of this article says, think about visible leaders like JP Morgan, Chase CEO, Jamie, uh, Diamond, Diamond, Diamond. Yeah. And Salesforce CEO Mark Benioff, both have spent years investing in executive positioning, establishing extraordinary levels of credibility for themselves and their um, and their businesses through savvy thought leadership, innovative business practices, and compelling public profiles. Yeah, so so essentially, is saying you know, <laughs> be out there and be yeah, a celebrity CEO because right. you can well, weather and, some of these issues and just create these narratives, create these stories about yourself, your company, what you're doing, or you know, and and. You know, smoke and mirrors and everything are are valid tools of the trade here. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, again, in fact, I think one of the first parts of that sentence was these CEOs have are the ones who have best equipped their companies. And I so again, I'm not I know it's some people think I'm critical. Which I think there's nothing wrong with being critical, critical, actually, but it's actually it's it's more just observational. Like it's like I see what he's doing. I see what Mark Benioff is doing, and he is equipping his company well for this. I think this is a great idea. I mean, this is him, you know, this is potentially him earning earning his money here. I mean, this is why he gets the big bucks, right? I mean, yeah, and it seems like the role of the CEO has kind of changed to be be kind of more of a figurehead, more of a celebrity figure that's out there. I mean, it's not like Mark's there for his technical prowess. I've never really read a book on computer science. Yeah. He's there to— Well, he's got Parker for that, and he's got Keith to do the sales side. So he's got Keith <laughs> so, doing the, the, the ugly crack whipping on the sales team, and he's got Parker inventing yeah. no, crazy Mark, Parker's the, uh, the the cosplay uh, representative expert now. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't have time to program. I don't think he wants to do that anymore. I, I see him more and more talking did, about how he pushes back on some of these things. Did that they he say that he retired the, the lightning suit? Oh, I hope so. I thought I thought that's what he said. Could be wrong. I would too. That or get it changed a bit because well, that was the one with the seam down the back that I couldn't stop looking at. So I just, I just couldn't, I, couldn't, I was just looking at Parker's butt. <laughs> Sorry, Park. 
<laughs> you put it out there like that. Do you think you know, his friends he, call him Park? He, he might as well. That's wear, what I just said. Might as well wear yoga pants or something. Call him Park. That was his buddy. I'd say, Park. "What's up, Park?" What's up, Park. I wouldn't know. And I call Benny off B. What's up, B? What's up, B and Park? <laughs> I call Benny off Big Daddy. What's up, Big Daddy? No, you would. Yeah, Big Daddy Bear. He is. <laughs> Daddy Benny off. Uh, so Salesforce is starting to get some competition. Although I don't really know if it's competition. And here's my. I want to. I want to read this. Uh, ProsperWorks. Have you heard of ProsperWorks? Prosper works. Yeah, I haven't either. No. Anyways, they've been. I guess there's a startup. I've heard of that's, Pega. Pega can. Well, Pega can. <laughs> they should start to. Every. every <laughs> well, they should start. They should start to sponsoring us for as many times as we mention that name and their slogan. Uh, anyway, so Prosper works. I guess they're a startup and they want to. They want to try to compete with Salesforce and they're throwing a lot of, a lot of shade towards Salesforce trying to get their name in the news. But they they apparently just raised fifty three fifty three million dollars. Uh, specifically to try to take on Salesforce and their AI initiatives. So they want to try to build more AI technology into their their CRM. Um, however, their CRM is not a platform. So I, for me, it's really hard to compete with Salesforce when all you have is an API and not so much a platform to build things on. I don't know if that's right or wrong, but it just seems like that's what plat- Salesforce has over everyone else. And you have to, I, I mean, Salesforce is so fragmented now. You can't just say, oh, we're going to compete with Salesforce. Well, that is almost meaningless. In, in what? In in commerce? In and, and a platform as a service, and a CRM, and in yeah. a certain a call center. I mean, what? So Prosperworks, just their their title of their website is the number one CRM for G Suite. So they're, I guess, they're built on Google or highly integrated with Google. Yeah, they're highly integrated with Google. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, well, uh, and, you, you, and that, no, that kind of follows you, the traditional CRM, right? That was mainly built around email. Like you have like Lotus Notes and things like that. They were really built around like sales communications. <laughs> well, when you, when you talk like about that. a CRM that salespeople actually want to use, that's the kind of stuff they need, which is funny because that's always the type of stuff that Salesforce has never been strong at. You know, whether the crap we've dealt with for 15 years with a crappy Outlook connector and uh, just bad, uh, um, you know, bad integration with those kind of things, bad support for email, uh, sending email and calendars. Yeah, exactly. Calendars is is still painful. Is it? I I wouldn't know. I just don't use any of that stuff anymore, but... um, But Salesforce has uh, become the number one CRM leader, despite having <laughs> arguably a, a not very pleasant CRM to use. Well, yeah, yeah. It's more of a platform thing. <laughs> yeah, so I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's I think it's well, good to have competition, but it, it's really tough to. I think it's really tough to kind of say I'm going to go after uh, Salesforce because because what, of what the things mean? you mentioned. But no, that's the angle that you know. You look at other companies that have, that have. I think had some success taking on Salesforce. Like Pi- I hear, I hear people talk about PipeDrive a lot. You've heard of PipeDrive? Uh, no. Um, there's a couple others too that I that I see quite a bit. And it's basically just you know CRM and pipeline management. That's what PipeDrive is, and it's. Um, I think they just focus on doing that really well. Yeah. It also and, seems like like with CRM, like the the big push is mobile. So everyone's trying to be very really focused on mobile and less on kind of the desktop, which is. You know, Salesforce has a mobile thing, but again, it's not it's not like the strongest part no, of it. No, because it's a general part. Salesforce One, is that what it's still called, by the way? I, I, I think so. I think so. Um, it might just be Salesforce Mobile now. It's a general know. purpose app. I mean, it's a it's a general purpose app that consumes Salesforce's, you know, APIs. And uh, it, I don't know. I mean, the UI and all the, like the UI paradigm and, and the, you know, the the components that the, that, that app is made from are general purpose Salesforce, you know, the Salesforce platform components. It's mm-hmm. so it's, uh, yeah, it's not like it's not, it doesn't seem to be a purpose built app for CRM. It's a, it's an app that 
can render any of the things in Salesforce. Yeah, and I think it'll get better now that we're moving into Lightning and companies are able to create components and we're able to embed that more. Because yeah. before it really was just kind of this really generic app and you could access records and it was kind of painful to customize. <laughs> I love using Visual Force apps through Salesforce One. It's a oh, great experience. It's horrible. <laughs> Um, so yeah, the, so the John uh, CEO, John Lee of Prosworks, he, in a few statements, he said, we want to do for CRM what Apple did for mobility. I have no idea what that means. I'm assuming they want to innovate beyond Salesforce, and I have no idea how they're going to do that. That's a bunch of fluff. Um, he also goes on to say, Salesforce might have Einstein, but if you give Einstein garbage, it will give you garbage results. But I mean, that's, that's, that's AI in general. I hate using the term AI. That's machine learning in general, because... Or even statistics. Where do you source this data you, you from? You have to have, uh, well, yeah, exactly. You have to have enough data. I mean, if yeah. that's that's one of the challenges, I, th I think, with Salesforce and, and Einstein uh, is that you really have to throw a lot of data at these things. And yeah. e even more than statistics. I mean, you know, with inferential statistics, you just have to have enough data for it to be statistically significant. But with, with something like machine learning and uh, neural networks, I mean, they... They and, and these models that have to be trained, it mm -hmm. takes way more data than what would be required just for statistical significance. Right. Because with statistical significance, I mean, you are you are clear you're clearly defining a statistical hypothesis, and you're trying to you're trying to prove that or reject it. Yeah. Uh, with with actual machine learning, you're not doing that. You're saying, go forth and look at all this data, and try to come up with your own hypotheses. That's what it's doing. That's what machine learning is. It's, it's coming up with this on, you know, you're not telling it, hey, is this a picture of a dog or not? You're just saying, hey, what is this a picture of? That's just an example. Like, right. you, you know, you're not giving it the test. It's coming up with its own test. And then it's deciding how what, how confident in it is about, you know, hey, I, you know, we're 85% confident this is a dog. That's what it could tell you, right? But you're not, you didn't have to tell it it's a dog. And then, right. right. So, uh, but that being said, a lot of what, falls under the Einstein brand, I think actually just is, you know, uh, inferential statistics, you know, basic reg regression type thing. So mm -hmm. they, there are predefined tests that it's just trying to figure out, hey, are we within a 95% confidence level that this is, a, this is the next lead you should call or whatever. Right. I, I'm not convinced that's machine learning going on there. <laughs> so, and, with the, and, and again, that's actually a good thing because that means that you don't have to have an org with, you know, 100,000 leads that you've already processed through before it can actually start to learn something about it. You only need, you know, 100 or 500 maybe. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. I have, a, I have a question if we're done with that one. Yeah. Because um, a couple of people have asked me this. Well, so who was, uh, someone was talking about, uh, like, well, it's okay. And in, in the Slack, uh, Charlie Jonas posted this He's got a GitHub repo that's um, this kind of like front end stack. It's like based on React and stuff, but um, it's for you know building basically apps that uh, are kind of Salesforce related apps. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Looks pretty interesting, actually. People should go check it out. It's called uh, Bass. Bad. Uh, what is it? Badass Salesforce stack or something like that. Good name. <laughs> um, but uh, people are talking about you know with these types of things, doing remote actions. And someone asked me if I was doing remote actions with um, with this view app that I'm building right now. And I'm not. I'm just doing what I've always done, which is the REST API. Mm. Um, combination of, well, okay, on one app I'm doing, I'm basically using the the, the Salesforce's, you know, just the CRUD REST API. Mm -hmm. now, on another app, I'm, I'm doing what I usually prefer, which is 
uh, basically a, a, a custom REST API for kind of for this app specifically so that it's, I, I can just do things more efficiently. Instead of having to make three or four calls to get data, I can just make, you know, one call or um, it's, you know, when the client needs to do a certain thing, like basically I can, I can design the API around the client's use cases, mm-hmm. um, which, which makes the the client a much simpler, uh, just is less code, less logic, less code. And so anyway, um, my question to you is remote actions. So <clears throat> now these are something I believe I've used mainly in visual force. Right. And I thought remote actions had to be used from a visual force page. Um, there, I know. I know they have to be as part of an Apex controller, right? Right. And the nice thing about them, I'm, I'm saying what I know, and then I'm going to ask you what I don't know and what I'm missing here. The other thing I know about them is they don't consume API limits. <clears throat> no, I they're believe. they're considered kind of part of your communication with Visual Force. So yeah, they're, they're staying within the bounds of I mean, Salesforce. It's kind of like an API call because it's your web browser, right? And it's not a postback or whatever. No. You know, that's what you like to call them, right? Postbacks. Yeah, it's not a postback. Whatever that is, it's a. Um, and when we say well, remote action, we're talking about the annotation of at remoting a method on your controller. Because yeah. there's other ways to do that as well. You can use you can use the action framework, which is you define an action, and that can be used with Process Builder or in JavaScript code to, to call and retrieve information. It's a separate thing than what's that's separate from a remote action, right? It's separate from a okay. remote action. Remote yeah. action was our kind of our first foray into that, where we could we could kind of make calls to our controller. Um, but without having to incur the postback stuff. Yeah, the other thing that's I guess should be said about remote actions is that they are they're stateless, right? Because they're mm-hmm. static methods, and so they're yeah, not they're stateless. Yeah, okay. And they don't they don't modify so your view state, so you have to be careful about that. In fact, I th- I would guess <clears throat> when you call remote action because it is calling into a static method on the controller and it's stateless, it's not it's not even sending that view state. It's not. Yeah, you right. have you to have pass no context. In an ID. Exactly, you've yeah. got to pass something into that remote action to give some context. That right. I mean, that is the context. So. And so they're best used, you know, without any dependency of the context where they're at, unless you can supply that context. Um, they're best used for like, you know, I don't know, really self-contained models of functionality, in my opinion. So like, go calculate this value or, you know, go get me this data and then I'll do something with it on the client. And I can see how this, I mean, this makes sense in a way that it's, it kind of follows that model of having um, stateless web services, mm-hmm. you know. It's almost like an anti-pattern this day to have stateful web services or or web service that you pass in a cookie into or something. Right. Um, <clears throat> but I don't know how to call those because I've never tried, never looked into it. I don't know how to call those outside of Visual Force. Can I call those just from a you know a web page that's on the internet? I don't think so. I've never tried to do that, so I don't think. I mean, so. Do I have to have like a session ID in my cookie as an example? I think you do because now you're stateless, but you're still in within a user context. Well, there's there's a certain there's a certain way to construct those messages, and I think they, I think there's some magic there with some libraries that are already included that pull all that session management, and all that stuff into the call. I've never had to supply a session ID. Yeah, when because I use those. when you come from Visual Force, it's just it's a simple JavaScript call, right? Isn't there a method? There's yeah, a JavaScript the, method, right? Yeah, there's some methods that you use to kind of construct the message and then send it. Yeah, it's like, or it's like there's some kind of like, there's some kind of static or there's some kind of class global class that it makes available like apex something then yeah you can then it's been a while since i've used yeah. them but yeah there's you there reference some, your controller name and then this and then the method right. name and then you you can pass stuff in yeah. so um yeah so that you so i'm assuming that if i'm not and if i'm outside of visual force i don't have that whole javascript uh library loaded that that allows me to do all that yeah and i'm not necessarily sure why you would want to do that i mean i think well, having again, a public ben- rest api that you generate would be 
much better. Yeah. Uh, again, the, I think the only downside of that is it does do cost me API calls against my API limits. Yes. Fortunately for me, that's not, I don't think it's going to be a problem at all, not even close. But for some people it is, and that's a consideration. That's like a benefit of remote action. And I don't know. I just thought uh, something I might be missing because people have asked me about that a couple of times. And then I think, in, I think it was in Charlie's thing. Maybe it was, maybe it was uh, DZH. Not how she say that. <laughs> Maybe it's just DZ. What, I don't know. Someone, I think both of them were mentioning remote actions. I'm like, you know what? I don't know why I'm not using remote actions. I just always use, um, I always build REST services. Also, you know, remote action is kind of, you know, it's got that little bit of that proprietary t- or, or a lot of that proprietary twinge to it. I don't know how to call that from a standards compliant, you know, web app. Yeah. It's not web friendly. Unless, again, unless you can, even if there, that JavaScript library is available and you can like set a session ID and then call remote actions from a non-visual force thing, just having to do that is in the fact that it's kind of not, not webish, not restish, mm-hmm. you know, I, I kind of don't like that. It is convenient from visual force though. I, I do, I will use those on visual force that, you know, it's got some dynamic stuff going on. Yeah. Although, I mean, I don't do too much of that anymore. Usually I'm, if I'm doing stuff like that, I'm I'm in the lightning world, and so that's much that's even much simpler. Yeah, it's it's funny how I feel like we're there's this, um, you know, bifurcation. I hate that word, but I can't think of a better yeah. word. Um, of developers now, there's the developers that are all into lightning, mm-hmm. and then there's those of us who are just like, yeah, not at all, and none of my clients for the foreseeable future are ever going to be able to use lightning, and I don't want to name names, but I mean I saw that it was in the Slack the last day or two. And we're just like, oh, I'm glad I'm not the only one that I just, it's just not an option for any of the products I'm working on. Yeah. I mean, for some of the, the larger clients that have existing Salesforce <clears throat> applications, customizations, um, they, they're not and they haven't. And, and there's some talk about them trying to move over in the next couple of years, but nothing has really been thought out just yet. Um, it's mainly some of the newer projects. So someone just getting onto Salesforce and you know, they have some customizations that they need and, and things like that where where I'm able to do the the lightning stuff and yeah. move that forward. <clears throat> I was thinking about this last night and I it made me realize, you know, Salesforce has always made this promise that um and, and it's like a benefit that all of their <clears throat> all of their customers are on the same platform, the same version of the platform. No one can be running an old one or a different one or a, a forked one or whatever. Mm-hmm. And and technically, I mean that's still true. But Practically speaking, it, we really have, <laughs> we have, you can run on one, you know, one system or there's two systems you can run on now. Yeah. You can still be on all classic or you can be on pretty much all lightning for the most part. And I kind of feel there's like, still I, gaps with lightning and there's yeah. a, I mean, whole kind of apps. They still haven't um, rebuilt in lightning yet, but for the most part, if you know, you're doing basic CRM and services now, you know, yeah. for the most part, lightning, you know, you can, uh, these are two different systems basically. Yeah. And uh, I kind of feel like we're, so there's probably two ways that this could have gone historically speaking. The the Microsoft way, which is they just keep they keep doubling down on backwards compatibility, or the Apple way when they switch OS 10, they're like, "Yeah, screw you, you're gonna have to run an emulator if you want that old stuff." Yeah. And pretty much if you were gonna be you know running on OS 10, you you were using the OS 10 APIs. You weren't you weren't using this kind of backwards compatible API like Windows has. And I feel like I feel like. Salesforce took the Windows route, which is, you know, you can, you can, they can coexist, but now they've got this huge amount of just 
I don't know, technical debt from all the APIs that they're trying to support and all the backwards compatibility. I think what was nice about OS 10 was that it was a new thing and, you know, you went from there. We're, we're starting new. Yeah. They um, and it was that. painful. <clears throat> yeah. But there was um, the, um, what was the, um, the framework that would let you run. I forgot. Uh, the cla- Mac, Mac OS classic apps. Yeah, I forgot. It's a, uh, carbon. I don't know. Does it was it was something though? Because I remember there was a few applications that I was using that had to run within it. No, it was um, it was Rosetta, wasn't it? I can't. It's not. It's not ringing us up now. (laughs) (laughs) But either way, I mean, I feel like that's kind of where we're at. I mean, I feel like, and I don't know what 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 is the right decision. Say f you to all your backwards stuff and and start new, or do you say okay, we'll, we'll we'll try to make this as painless as possible. We'll let you switch between the two versions. Those kind of things. Yeah. I, I don't know. <clears throat> um, you have, I mean, obviously you have to switch at some point. You know, you've got to... Well, I mean, isn't, isn't that some of the issues with, with a lot of these kind of on-prem systems is that you'd have someone that's still running a version from 10 years ago and they're perfectly happy with it? And yet there's like one new feature that they want and you, and you have to go and tell them, well, then you have to upgrade to the latest version and that's going to require this entire migration and it's, it's going to cost you X, X amount of dollars. And the thing, I th- the thing I think that surprised a lot of Salesforce customers about this was that you know, they thought that when they were, you know, building their workflow rules and their Visual Force pages, especially their their Visual Force stuff, whether it was you know internal to, internal Salesforce stuff or community stuff. I mean, I think people thought that you know they state they they use documented features, they're doing it by the book. That they were kind of, I mean, that's the benefit, that's the promise of Salesforce. It's always you're always future proofing. You you know, yeah. your things will always work. Well, okay, they still work, but. They're becoming not viable. So all this investment that they've made uh, is not—it's not super viable going forward. It's going to—it's ha- going to have to be rebuilt, or it'll just—it'll just it'll look older and older and older, and it'll—it'll it'll be more of a, a a contrast to the new system. You know, it'll be jarring—a jarring experience, and things will probably—you um, know—you'll have some breakage in things as as this rolls forward on from with your old stuff. And it's, um, yeah. so I think that's, I think that's, I mean, kind of surprised me. And I, I know some of my customers that's, that's surprised them that it's like, wow, we, we've done all this work over the past five years, building all this stuff out. And it's, it's all, uh, um, essentially like deprecated. Now we've got to, they know that at some point they've, this is going to have to be rebuilt, which I don't know. I mean, if you got five years out of something nowadays, that's, it's not bad. I mean, in some situations I, and I understand it's tough to come up with a budget to say you've already spent this budget and now two, three years down the line, you have to spend that budget again. But I mean, I feel like a lot of the the stuff we built, a lot of the customizations we built were highly compromised. Whereas with Lightning, there's less of that compromise. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've overridden an entire page just to have a certain amount of functionality on a page. No, that's a good point. Yeah. Where, you know, it just wouldn't work as an, as an embedded page. Mm-hmm. It really had to be this part of this entire like page. Replace the, like the entire um, like home tab for an object or whatever right yeah. or just you know just be able to add a new related list or something with a very specific set of functionality which now we can do very easily with lightning yep. we just create that component and now you can put it on and it's, everything else still exists within the native uh world of salesforce so i feel like you know it's a more flexible things, system isn't it it is and i mean it's it's only going to get worse it's, i think it's, it's that kind of thing that makes me like you know wish that i could just switch everyone to lightning <clears throat> but they're stuck it's like you want to get all these new benefits and and these new features that are going to be lightning only. But in order to do that, you have to bite the bullet and just rebuild. So I mean, and I'm 
and there, there's a lot of strategies for not rebuilding. You don't have to rebuild everything, right? There's you can wrap things. You can you can wrap your visual force. You can even style it to, so it, it's not so jarring and classic looking. There's there's things you can do, right? There's strategies to. Uh, they are, but they're they're band aids because at some point you're going to rip that band aid no, off. But it, but I think you can delay that. There's a lot of things that can be delayed for a, a long time. I guess my point yeah, is, but I, I it's guess not so. a compl- It doesn't have to be a complete big bang rebuild. Yeah, I just I just think back on a lot of things where I've compromised with the intent that we're going to go back in and refactor it. And it never, never happens. Uh, that that bandaid is old and crusty, yeah. and it, it's it's stinking and yeah. everything, and it's still sitting there. Yeah, and when you did, and no one wants to you, touch when, it. And this, when you pull it off, that all that heat, adhesive still going to be stuck to your skin. <laughs> it's got all that dirt stuck to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's it's just one of those psychological things where you think you're going to be able to go back and fix it, or you think this is just a temporary thing, and then no, yeah, no one. I mean, no one's complaining, so let's not let's not touch it. Yep. You know, let's spend our money somewhere else. And it's just, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's kind of sad that we're in this position where we have to make those trade-offs. I almost feel like. And, and That's I, our job to make trade-offs though. That's our job to evaluate. I mean, you probably a thousand times a day make this, you know, decisions ranging from, you know, micro small to small. Yeah. That you're, you know, code. I, well, I heard someone say the other day that every, or I read it or something. Every line of code is a is a business decision. Something like that. I probably get yeah. quote wrong. It kind of is. I mean, you're, and that's that's also why I and the, I'm the guy that I like to be brought into discussions and meetings kind of ahead of time. I want to be involved in all that because I'm the one that's got to make all those micro decisions. And the more context I have, the better my decisions are going to be. But yeah, that's what we do. Is you know, you got to figure uh, pick which database to use or which storage mechanism. Well, we can store it in the relational database, and you know, you're going to get this property, but it won't be quite as fast. Or you can sort in this caching thing, but you know, it'll be faster. Or you know, there's just yeah, there's, you know, we can do this with a Visual Force and Remote Actions, or we can do it in a React app. You know, there's like there's there's so many different yeah. you know, big to to small. I mean, each, like I said, each each almost every line of code is is you're making trade offs. Yeah, I guess I just I guess I just think back to to trying to be modular in, in in the programming environment itself and how difficult that is with Salesforce. I mean, it's not like I can just unplug my UI render and plug in lightning, yeah. you know, and get, and now that code is now feeding lightning. It's just, it, it, this transition did not happen that way to where I could just simply, you know, plug in a new UI render and be, be okay. Um, so it does become a heavy lift, but I don't know. I mean, Maybe that's still the best because now I can take advantage. I can make that code more efficient for Lightning versus just saying, "Here's a new render of it." Um, so and, and, and in some cases, it's it's a little bit of a nudge, uh, you know, admittedly, but it's an opportunity to rebuild your th- systems in a better way. You know, there's surely been changes that the business has been wanting to make to a lot of these things, so it's a good time to get those in to rethink how you're doing things. Your business has probably changed, and when you built all that stuff the first time. You know, just by just through virtue of building and the process of building something, you, you know, you, you, it's like the saying, like, you should plan to throw away version one because you're going to learn so much that by the time you get to the end of it, especially if you didn't have a good process, I, I think the you know, software you'll, community you'll, in general has bought into that idea, but I don't think Salesforce customers have. They don't, they don't see their version one as a throwaway version. They see that as that's it. We spent, $50,000 on this. That's going to be it for the next well, 10 years. Well, because they're getting serviced by typical Salesforce consultants <clears throat> who are stuck in backwards old processes and they're just not honest about. No, I don't, I don't see it as that. I don't see it as that. I see it as, I, I try to be sensitive to customers and what they're dealing with. I mean, they, they, they got a budget to build out Salesforce. You know, there are things that didn't do that maybe they thought it did or just they knew they were going to have to customize. 
And that becomes, unbeknownst to them, pretty much a software development project. And now they're in the software business and now they're building software. And that's not something they, they're normally used to. This was a CRM that they got and now they're building software. Every, what is this, every company is a software company. Who said that? Well, and I agree with that, but I think the 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 attractors of Salesforce is they're hosting it. They're responsible for all that. They're you know you point and click your way, you dream it, you build it, and then all of a sudden you, you're you're still a software company. I might I might regret that. I just clicked on a Forbes link. I'm on the the lovely welcome page that just first of all it was it was an <laughs> HTML white page for about six seconds oh, yeah. before anything came up, and then I get that. Continued to article, and I, I, I think there was an ad there, but my ad blocker blocked it. It's so pretentious. I'm trying to figure out who said that. Who said every company is a software company? It was probably some VC or something. Yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's like Domino's Pizza. They consider themselves a, you know, an, a, a a technology company that happens to make pizzas. Hmm. Well, Salesforce is a marketing, I mean, marketing company that considers themselves to, to sell software. Well, considering how crappy Domino's Pizza is, that's a I think that's a good, it's an accurate uh, thing to say. It worked. I I bought a few what'd Domino's say, pizzas. What did you say about Salesforce? Though? What's I don't that? know that what? they were they a marketing company that oh, happens that have, to sell software. Because I was thinking about this. Well, they, even, they send more. They spend more money on sales and marketing than they do on their software. So, well, yeah, that's I mean, probably I was, a true statement. I was thinking. About, I, was, I don't know why I was thinking about this, but I was driving in and I was thinking about. Some of the topics that I had, and I was thinking, you know what? Because we were, I think it was DX. Because I was, I was thinking back to some feedback or some some things that were said about in the last podcast about DX and and you know how marketing is just way in front of DX, and they're saying you can do all these things, and we're sitting there going, really? I I I tried. Don't stop deploying, John. I I can't do this yet. What What are you doing to me? And I feel like I feel like there's there's two sides of Salesforce. There's there's the the technical guys, the guys like the the Parker guys that are actually out there trying to build stuff, and then you have marketing that's going. That's a good idea. I'm going to go tell everyone about that without really knowing or understanding what it does. And now everyone's got this impression that it does this, this, and this. Do you think that's more marketing or do you think that's the product managers that are overselling their features and their products? I think everyone's got to justify their budgets and I think everyone's got to show some kind of value and I and give, you sure. know, provide these talking points. I mean, they do like, I mean, they're, what, they're like at 10 world tours now and Dreamforce and there's about a mil. I mean, every week there's a Salesforce event somewhere. And what are they going to talk about? <laughs> yeah. I mean, they always got to have something to talk about, something yeah. to announce, something new to market, something to to, to stay in the news. I well, mean, it's... Salesforce has become famous as the company that, you know, early announces and, and over-promises on, on future features. And maybe that's why I'm not worth $5 because I can't, I can't bring myself to do that kind of stuff. No, oh, I can't either. I, I just couldn't do that. I, I mean, I might... I'm not going to go out and say, hey, you can do this, this, and this. Yeah. And then someone goes, well, how do you do that? It's like, oh, well, that's coming in the next release. So we, we have it on our roadmap. Well, that's why I'm... Uh, what's his name? Uh, Her- Parker Harris was the technical co-founder, and, and Mark was the what do you call it? The business, you know, the business, the the marketing, the sales marketing co-founder. Oh, yeah. I mean, I can't argue with results. I mean, they're, I mean, they're they're, re- they're reaching their goals. I can't either. I think that the just the discussion is, you know, is are the results more as a result of their marketing and PR machine, or as of their actual technology? I think it's both. I think at some point. Your marketing collapses if you can never meet, um, meet the hype. I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's, I'm not saying that they have to meet all the hype, but I think at some point, eventually, they do end up delivering on what they say. It's just there's this painful road to get there. Is it a, is it a compliment to say they're probably the least Fitbit price software company that exists? I think it's fair. Yeah, okay. it can be fair. 
Because, I mean, that's, you know, they are enterprise software. I mean, to the point, back to product managers, I mean, just getting something done implemented at Salesforce. I mean, the problem is, you know, every, because it's such a big system with all the different modules and <clears throat> so many different features, mm-hmm. uh, you have to look at, you know, you you have an idea for a new feature and you basically, you put it in a feature matrix yeah. and, and you're looking at how all the ways it's going to affect every other feature in the, in the system. Yeah. <laughs> and just getting anything done to any degree is probably takes like, you know, an act of Congress or something. Yeah. Cause I mean, there are some features where you go, why can't you just do this? Yeah. Why but can't, you don't realize that like it affects like all these subsystems. You literally can't add a switch statement to Apex Yeah, <laughs> or, or classes. I mean, switch statement would probably be much easier. I mean, at this point, I mean, adding classes to Apex, it, it would just affect, I, I literally don't think they can do it. I mean, I think they would, if they could, I think yeah. they, I don't think they can do it. Not with, not with the budget they have. And even though they're a $10 the million thing, company I mean, with a, what, a probably a couple of billion dollars a year in R&D, it's not enough. We, they, we have a couple of billion dollars in R&D, and we cannot get a decent programming language because it would be too hard. Well, they're still spending for a lot for every license <clears throat> they get, so they're still heavy on marketing, which does kind of deplete what's available for now, R&D. What I'm hoping they'll do is that punt on Apex <laughs> and uh, just circumvent that with by you know letting us do jvm things or uh, heaven forbid javascript on the platform I, I why take, heaven forbid oh just because javascript's a disaster I, i'm noticing a trend with javascript that more and more people are are hating on it as, as the more popular it gets the more people are like uh javascript i hate it i hate it it's hate a it. horrible language with a really really dysfunctional ecosystem but it's everywhere john it's everywhere and some of the most important tools we have are created in it. Well, unfortunately, we're dealing with... Um, I mean, dude, VS Code. Isn't VS Code a an Atom app? Electron, yeah, whatever it's called? It is. It's I'm written sure in JavaScript. It, I'm sure it's been heavily forked and modified, but yeah, oh. that's where it's started. <laughs> it might just be a container at this point, but yeah. yeah. This, but is, I mean, I mean, but this is a language that What's-His-Face came up with over a, over, the, over a weekend because he had to get it in. And we're, and we're living with those decisions now, right? And it's like, it's like when Salesforce created Apex. It, I mean, the, the answer I got from one of their product managers, well, I mean, we really designed this just to be a database triggering system. It was not, we did not know that there would be an app exchange and that when people would be, you know, would write a, a 100,000 line Apex program. Uh, yeah. You know? And <laughs> but, I mean, somebody's got to solve this equation. Somebody's got to solve a way for for this type of customization, this type of platform, right? Yeah, because as it stands right now, you know, you install something like Financial Force in your org, and I'll pick on them, but it's not their fault. It's any, you want to do anything of, of a, of a lar- with a large app like that, the system's not, it wasn't made for that. And so it causes all kinds of problems that make me want to, you know, sell everything I have and move to a small remote island somewhere. Mm. Yeah. I do want to talk about this. Um, Jay shared this this Deloitte article, which I'm sure hit the news, but I've, I've been I've been under a rock. Should we give Jay a plug too on his uh, Apex? Oh yeah, converter? that's right. Yeah, he released Apex, and I didn't realize that wasn't released. But I guess he, you know, he's kind of doing an official a grand opening. <laughs> <laughs> he's been in soft opening up to this phase. So yeah, ApexSharp.com, I think, right? Was has he got a URL? It's on GitHub too, but yep. I'm not. I'm not a uh, 
C sharp guy, but it takes what does it do? It lets you write in C sharp and then transpiles to Apex. Yeah, yeah, basically. That's crazy. It is. That's, that's, that's Can you a, use classes? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. how does it manage all that? How does it manage? Uh, there's got to be a lot of caveats and like think you know features that you just can't use in Apex or something. I think so. It's it's definitely an ambitious project, and you know it's it's not it's not something I would have wanted to tackle, but I'm glad someone out there is tackling because I think that's great. I mean, because I've always thought, you know, what if what if we could do something like TypeScript where we type, we do it the way we want and then it compiles down to JavaScript? What if we could, you know, do something in C Sharp or in Java and then it compiles down to Apex code? I mean, then you have some of the advantages of the tooling. You have the refactoring and everything. And then once, once that build is done, I mean, e- even testing frameworks and things. Well, for the most part, I mean, you have to do a lot of mocking and stuff for database interactions and things like that because... But yeah, I mean, if, if that if that would work, I mean, that would be awesome. Yeah. Well, that requires you having a, you know, basically a Salesforce runtime of some, of some sort, which would be great. And, you know, we've been asking for that for yeah. a long, long time, but it's not going to happen. Yeah. So apexsharp.com. I wonder if it has source maps. That would be cool. So like a oh, you know, yeah. error on a, you know, happens and it shows you in your, in your C-sharp code, you know, what line it was on and what the stack trace was. And, but that's probably impossible. But I don't know. I know. Uh, so no, this, so the Deloitte thing. So the title was Deloitte is a sitting duck. Uh, key, and they had key systems with RDP open, which is uh, I guess went the Windows uh, remote terminal, desktop. Or, yeah, something. Uh, yeah, uh, protocol. Protocol maybe. <laughs> and their VPN and proxy login details were leaked. Um, of course, the funny part about this, and Jay knew that this, he's pushing my buttons with this. But you know, De- Deloitte is was Gartner's security consultant of the year. Which just means they wrote the biggest check. That's all that means. <laughs> it's total bullcrap. I mean, what people have to, have to understand is that companies, uh, you know, tech companies, have a staff of what they call analyst relations people. That it's their job to constantly stay in front of these analyst firms because mm-hmm. they you, they always want to be telling their story, right? Um, well, I mean, these... but, but the funny thing is, and so the analyst firms, they, they cover these tech firms, mm-hmm. but they also get paid from these tech firms. And, and the, the thing about the analyst firms, they, they, take, it from, they take it both ways. <laughs> they're taking money from the people they're covering, and they're yeah. ta- then they're taking money from the people that are buying their reports and subscribing to their service. I mean, talk about another great way to make money if I had no conscience. Yeah, yeah. What is that show? I don't know Am- how they sleep. What is that show? Empire. I, there's like, like yeah. they're, they're pumping that show up, and I remember thinking because really? I've never I've never seen the show, but like the whole theme of the show is is family comes first, and I'm like, bit bit live in a damn mansion. Family did not come first. I put my family first. That's why I'm not rich. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what else? So their their corporate VPN passwords, usernames, and operational details were found lurking within a public facing GitHub repository. <laughs> In addition, it appears that a Deloitte employee uploaded company proxy login credentials to a, his public Google Plus page. Oh. Well, what's weird about that? So, because when I first read that, I thought, well, that's, you know, every, any, any company could have an employee that just goes rogue. You know, and that, that almost sounds intentional. I don't know if that was intentional or not, but how do well, you? Well, it might not be. I mean, you might have different accounts. You might have like your personal Git account and you have your company Git account. I mean, think Google, about Twitter. What about a public Google, his Google Plus? That's the social, that's their social network. Oh, that's kind of weird. I mean, that'd be yeah. a hell of an accident. That would be. But I was just thinking like, like, you know how people who are responsible for like Twitter and they end up tweeting something from their yeah. company accounts to their personal account and ends up getting the company in trouble. 
I mean, I was thinking something along those lines, but you're right. I mean, the Google part is is a bit different. But when you really think about it, though, I mean, the, the problem was not that this guy uploaded these things to a GitHub repo or to his Google Plus page. The problem is that this list of usernames and passwords existed. That shouldn't exist. No, no admin in a system should know what anyone's password is if these things are being done correctly. That is true. That is very true. Deloitte has loads of internal and potentially critical systems unnecessarily facing them. This is what they discovered as a part of this. Some analysts immediately jumped in and started analyzing all Deloitte's different offices they have across the world mm -hmm. and everything. Loads of internal and potentially critical systems unnecessarily facing the public internet with remote desktop access enabled. Oh. So that's like, I mean, you know, go, go, to put, up, go put up a Linux server with SSH enabled and uh, password lo login enabled and tell mm -hmm. me how long that it takes for that system to get taken, you know, just taken over. Look at taken over. Yeah. Uh, ask me how I know. Uh, all of this, <laughs> all of this gear should be behind a firewall and or two-factor authentication as per uh, industry best practices and likely the best practices that Deloitte recommends to its clients, ironically. This guy says, this security analyst, just in the last day, I found seven to 12,000, I don't know why seven to 12,000, like he didn't have a count, open hosts for the firm spread across the globe. We're talking dozens of business units around the planet with dozens of IT departments showing very different aptitude levels. Levels, The face truly exploitable comes to mind. Uh, here's an example. They found a, a Deloitte run Windows Server 2012 R2 box in South Africa with RDP wide open. Uh, which, and it was also, it was their Active Directory server. Hmm. Uh, yeah, and Deloitte, they, they build themselves as the top IT security consultancy in the industry. Now, some of this, I guess, one defense of Deloitte could be, well, there's that all, there's that whole thing where the, the cobbler's kids have no shoes, right? So they, they may be really good at advising their clients on how to do this stuff, but they don't do it for themselves well. Hmm. It's like, you know, companies that make uh, computers, right? They're half the time their employees have the, the crappiest computers. I don't know. Well, yeah, we've been there. But I know. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, let's see. I always hated that one. Whenever I worked for a company, they wanted to give me a, co a computer off the line. I'm like, I don't want that thing. Yeah. <laughs> or from RMA. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. <laughs> no, I want to, I want to go to this website and buy my computer. Now, <laughs> please yeah. just give me the budget. Yeah. I don't want one off the line. Right. <laughs> I know who does break fix. <clears throat> uh, the details that are now emerging are also rather embarrassing for analyst firm Gartner, which in June named Deloitte the world's best IT security consulting for the fifth year in a row. <laughs> uh, you can, you know, what you can do with these uh, awards by Gartner. Well, well, any award. I mean, God, all uh, these, these the, the, every there's an award for everything. There's an award for wiping your butt these days. I just don't get it. <laughs> I think I won that one once. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't help that De Deloitte isn't much liked by this is this is what got me. It doesn't help that Deloitte isn't much liked by other security resources researchers for its business practices. The firm has a reputation for lowballing contractors on their fees, mm. particularly for penetration testing. And the Schadenfreude of Deloitte being so bad at its own security has delighted some. <laughs> it, it delights me. I got I got to admit. I I think. I don't, I don't like delighting and delighting in another company's pain, but at the same time, I think when you're, when your job is to advise clients and it turns out that you don't, you don't buy into your own, I don't know, your own words or whatever. I'm trying not to curse. <laughs> you're not buying into it that, that I don't know. 
especially if you're seen as the leader and 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 everyone's like you're the go-to and you're like no they they suck or I, yeah we've been able to prove this and you know we have the better methodology and all that kind of stuff that i don't know i guess it's nice seeing someone get taken down a few pegs i guess yeah and it's like uh, you know, right i mean i don't want to see bad things happen to good people but right you know this is the covers being lifted i mean uh the, the nothing like the disinfecting power of sunshine right yeah to uh well it's also going to be a lesson on on using gartner to to pick your vendors i mean i i know a lot of companies start there and and, and i'll i am guilty of that as well starting with gartner going oh, yeah. okay well who's out there who do i need to start calling where are they in the quadrant yeah <laughs> it it really is a lazy but very easy way to start your search for a vendor um and you know in some cases when you're trying to make a case a vendor being in a certain quadrant kind of helps say, yes, this is who we should pick. They're known, they're reputable. They, you know, they're not going to go away anytime yeah. soon. I mean, no one ever got fired for picking uh, Deloitte for their security consultant, right? Well, not yet. Yeah, they might now. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean. It's, it's, it, it's, it's, it's the shortcut. It's shortcut hiring, shortcut decision-making. Instead of, you know, doing, doing the work on stuff, you're just like, yeah, let's just, I don't know. Hire the guy with the most certs or the guy with the most awards from Gartner or the guy that's in the best part in the quadrant without actually learning something about your own needs and the actual capabilities of the people, the actual people, John, the resources that will be doing the work on your project. <laughs> you and the resources. Well, I th- I'm just I th- saying when you, when, you, when you look at it, when you look at people as resources and these types of things as resources, they just become this generic um, – uh, commodity that, oh, I will buy a hundred bodies from Deloitte and they will fix our sec- our global security. Oh, really? Well, let me know how that works out for you. Or what was that commercial, that DevOps commercial? And they had that, that all that advertising around this one girl and how, how awesome she was for DevOps. And I was like, I don't, know. I don't remember that. I've never seen a DevOps commercial. Yeah, I, I, I had you play it. Oh. Um, it was a while ago though. Okay. But anyways, I, I, I think it's a little unfair though because I think... Because I've kind of been in the position, not kind of, I was in the position of, of helping to choose these vendors and do the search and do the research. And it was really painful because you had you had a business that, that was afraid to make a decision. So you had to put, you had to make sure your pro bucket was maxed out, as, you know, if you thought a certain vendor was, was probably our better fit. Um, but then they, not only did they not want to make a decision, but they also, they knew the buzzwords. They wanted a future proof. They wanted the system to be around for ten years. They wanted to 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 jump through hoops and then backwards and then and then go build make some I mean, coffee. The client wanted that. Well, yeah, the business. I'll say the okay, business because because I, I was doing this as an employee, internal client, I guess. Yeah. Whatever. And so it was my job to go out and find these vendors. We needed a new marketing systems. I had to go and review all the marketing systems, or we needed a new whatever. Um, isn't that isn't that kind of suffering from this? Like when you want when you want something too bad, you end up paying a price for it. Like, oh, we want the system that's gonna future-proof us for 10 years. Well, first of all, that doesn't exist. Yeah. And if you want that too bad, you're going to buy into someone's B- BS about it, and then you're going to end up getting screwed. Yeah, and I, th- you know, a lot of times it's just from experience. You know, people see the system they're on today, they see how it fell apart, um, and everyone knows we need to transition to something, either newer tech or something better, because, and, and really it fell apart not because the system was bad, but because the business changed so much over time. And the way they either marketed or whatever had changed so much. And so that system was now insufficient for their needs or it was just old tech um you know we we're now marketing in social media we're now marketing all these things that some of these older marketing tools couldn't do and i'm using marketing as just a general example but um you know they see this and they think they have to they have to like find something that that won't do what what just happened that won't won't become legacy that won't that won't die that'll just keep going and i feel like that's the way there's a lot of pressure to do that 
And so you have to, you have to go to these quadrants. You have to go to these people who are leaders in the market, who, who are showing how innovative they are and showing how future-proof they are, like Salesforce. Oh, I'm sure Salesforce is in the top of the quadrant for uh, the, the, the leading um, AI-enabled blah, 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 even though, or the leading um, you know, IoT or some other thing that they, you know, that Salesforce always pre-announces two years early and it's just not, but they can get with, with basically vaporware, they can get at the top of the quadrant. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a different story. I'm just saying. This is I, just the way this business works, and people need to understand that. And I think a lot of, you know, less experienced people, people who haven't, you know, been through a lot of projects and seen this stuff happen over the course of time, that, you know, you, it, it all sounds so promising and just, it, I, it, it's hard to believe that the system could operate like this sometimes. But well, it, yeah, I mean, I just think, does, I think we're all kind of conceded to the game and we're all trying to play the same game. We all know it's bad. I don't know. I don't it. think that's a true statement. I don't think people, I don't think we all do know that. Really? I don't think so. Maybe. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, just talk to half people that walk out of Dreamforce when Dreamforce is over. Wait, wait till some of your, your new clients come back from Dreamforce this year. You know, I used to think that, but I, I've had clients who I've met on site after some of those those big speeches, and say, "Yeah, it's all sounded nice, but I know it's BS." I mean, I, a lot of now clients that's, are but very that's seasoned. Ex exactly, that's a seasoned person. But they who's they weren't. They were new to Salesforce. They're like in their first six months of Salesforce, and then they went to Dreamforce, and and even then, at that point, they knew that so much of it was marketing BS. It kind of reminds me what my probably biggest red flag on. Um, a potential client who wants me to build software for them is that they've never been through a software build before. That's probably That's the everyone. biggest red. Oh no, 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 no. <laughs> no wonder you have any work. Well, cause they don't, they don't, you know, I don't know. It's just that there's so many things you learn going through that you learn how to, you learn kind of the process and how to temper expectations. I mean, you're, you know, well, there's a lot of education involved with what we do. There is. And again, a client who pay, hasn't who been through pay, this. Who pays for that education? Exactly. Because it takes time. I mean, I can spend half of my time on a project educating. Yeah. And I don't know. And sometimes it just doesn't work. But anyway. All right. So Deloitte, I feel like we need to pop the stack. I think we're done. I mean, I don't know. What else about Deloitte? There's, they're, they're, Do they have a response to whole, any of this? Or? I mean, they're, they're hip. Here's, the, here's, the, here's my bottom line of Deloitte. They're obviously very hypocritical. And they're terrible people because they lowball their contractors. That those two things right there, that's enough for me to not like that company. Lowballing paying their contractors, they lowball bids with their contractors. They lowball paying their contractors. <clears throat> I mean, it just says the firm has a reputation for lowballing contractors on fees. Hmm. Again, which is which is disgusting to begin with, but also in and of itself, that's hypocritical. Like they're going out and charging these clients three, four, five hundred dollars an hour. And they won't, you know, they won't pay the security researcher, you know, his hundred bucks an hour or whatever, you know. Yeah. It's like, come on. Gotta make those margins, man. That's a pretty good margin, you know, as it is. <laughs> no, like, you got margin you, you got need? you got sales commissions, you got the CEO's new yacht yeah. to pay for. I mean, and those steak and stakes and hookers are gonna the, pay for themselves. You got the steak and hookers at Dreamforce <laughs> to pay for and every other conference that yeah, they do, yeah. and you know. That that gets expensive. San Francisco's expensive. Yeah. I've been, eh, I won't get into that because it gets into politics. I'm just going to say, I've been hearing stuff about San Francisco having issues with their it's homeless It's a terrible, problem. terrible city. Having issues with their homeless again. This place is falling apart. Despite all the San money. San Francisco is a horrible, horrible place. Despite all the money being spent there. 
for anyone who's thinking of traveling to San Francisco as a tourist thing, don't do it. Yeah, stay away. Go someplace else. Stay away. <laughs> There's um, the newest thing on San Francisco is they now have a poop map. They need one. No, there is. There's a poop map. So it's kind of like ways where like like you can notify when there's traffic and everyone gets gets known. But instead, it's like with poop ways. You're like there's poop over here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Poop ways. Don't, don't walk over here. <laughs> <laughs> poop ways. Um, yeah, and apparently Twitter, which aren't they're probably in Soma um, or Soma. Oh, wait those. a minute. They can partner with Uber to do poop pickup. <laughs> I see poop and get an Uber driver to come and do pick, so you got pick U- up. Uber Eats, now we'll have Uber poop. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Uber poop. <laughs> uh, poop jokes. No, it was uh, Twitter. Hang on a second. I got to get this one in. I'm the Uber of humans, bitch. Uh, now, Twitter had like, apparently like the, a lot of the, they requested to have a lot of the public um, porta potties or whatever taken that are. T- taken out because they just thought they would look gross and attracted homeless people. Well, I, I think it's less gross than poop everywhere. Well, that's so the, the unintended <laughs> consequence there is that you now have poop all over the sidewalks. Because restaurants won't let them go in and use the restroom. So I mean, where are they going to go? Well, they're not not in the porta potties near Twitter anymore. That's for sure. Yeah, I think that was they they should have spent them. They should have spent a little more money to make them look a little bit nicer. So that wasn't an eyesore. So maybe some maybe, gold, some gold plated. Uh, maybe maybe knobs. just maybe just stick like a big tweet <laughs> logo on the front of it or something. Make it look like a um. What are those those uh like a is it holistic or organic? Make it look like an organic garden area, and like that poop is what feeds the the garden. Well, that they should. You know what they should? They should actually set up set up a composting operation. That's what I mean. And yeah. pay a nickel per dump, and these <laughs> or like a quarter or something. You know. There you go. Or a buck. I don't know. What's a dump worth yeah. for a composting operation? That's some. Pr- they should have thought this through a little bit more. Stuff, isn't it? Should have thought this through a little bit. more. A lot of nitrogen. Yeah. <laughs> can make this work. Oh wow, we've gone off the deep end. Well, John. Well, let's get to this community topics. Okay. We'll, we'll yeah. Put a bow around it. Yeah, that sounds good. Okay. Um, so this one comes from actually both these topics come from a community member. Uh, his name's Leo. He said we can use his name. Thank you, Leo. Uh, he said he's got two questions. The first one: Do you find I think uh, I, I'm going to have to paraphrase because there's some grammar errors here. Do you find it natural to spend a full day in meetings nonstop? Um, and there's some context to this. I am working on a project where I have a full day of meetings every couple of weeks, starting at 930 to stand up sprint review. That's weird wording. 10 minutes for lunch, retro refinement and planning ending at five. By the time we are done, everyone is cranky. Is that your experience with working with scrum? So the, the whole meeting thing context is around scrum and, which that seems odd. I mean, I thought, mm, so what does Scrum have? I mean, I guess the, um, I mean, yeah. Re- so first of all, the retrospectives shouldn't be that long. And then you have, so, you know. It sounds every, like they're trying to do too much. Between with- every sprint, you have, uh, should have a retrospective. This is, this is kind of classic Scrum. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily exactly what I'd recommend, but between every sprint, you have a retrospective and a sprint planning session. And usually, I, I, I mean, I, the thing I see happen the most often is companies will do both of those on the same day. <clears throat> but if you do, I would make sure that they don't add up to more than, you know, three, maybe four hours at the max. Because people don't have that much focus. And, and plus, meetings where you out faster than even working by yourself do. So, you know, maybe. I mean, Ten minutes for lunch? I mean, that sounds a bit harsh. 
Oh, that is. That's ridiculous. It's kind of cracking so, the whip. I would say, you know, <clears throat> if a retrospective lasts longer than an hour, you've lost people. I think your sprint planning session can go up a little bit longer because it's looking forward. It's more creative. People are a little bit more interested, I think. So maybe an hour and a half. Yeah, I would say. But you are, know, are these times kind of indicative of maybe too large of a team or maybe too much going on? It, it, that's a good point. It, it, it sounds like I, I don't know what the team size is, but that's that's one of my, that would be one of my first questions. How big is your team? I mean, and and if you're trying, if you're having to, if you're having to have meetings from, uh, yeah, you, they just need to be broken. There's just so much wrong with that. People people can't do that. Yeah. Um. And and it it also just indicates that you're you got a process problem. You, you have too much work in process. That's another thing. That was, I'm that's always watching work in process. Yeah. Doing too, you got too many balls in the air, and mm-hmm. just it's creating the need for all these anti-patterns. Right. So instead of instead of just um, treating the symptom, they're like, let's fix what's causing this. Which also, is, I mean, that means the rest of the day you're not you're not coding, you're not doing anything. So no, you've lost a day in your sure, sprint, right? right? And I'm not saying that they. I don't know, just all that happening on one day. And, and maybe it could be something, one of these things where. And isn't that the point of the whole standup is that you're standing up and you can, you can do well, this. Standup should be 10 minutes. I mean, yeah. This is not a standup there. Yeah. I don't know what they're doing, but it, that's definitely not, doesn't sound right. Don't get comfortable because you're not going to be here long enough to sit. Yeah. It, it doesn't sound right. And I would, it, to me, what was he, what's his question? Is that normal or whatever? And then I would say, well, no. he's, he's asking if that's your experience with working with Scrum. Mm-hmm. I guess, I guess this is his experience with it. And he's saying, is, is this normal? I mean, should I be concerned about how this is being run? Yeah, it's it's not normal, and it's it's not it's not real effective. I mean, that's that's the bigger concern. It's just not effective. I mean, people start to really kind of lose focus, and, and things start to happen about the forty-five minute mark, you know, and people's butt starts to hurt, or they got to, people start having to pee, and 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 also just you know mentally, they it's hard to it's hard to stay focused on something like that. Yeah, you know, people, you know. I don't know. Even on on-sites where we have meetings, we, we try to break them up. We try to hold everyone's attention for at least an hour, maybe an hour and a half if we have to, and then there's a break. And then there there is the problem of sometimes people are geographically spread out, and you're getting them together. People are coming in for like one day, mm. and so you want to you the, the you know the temptation is to try to cram as much into that day as possible. But we also don't know what his role is. I mean, maybe he's. I don't know. Maybe he's, I don't know, the lead architect or something, and maybe he has to touch all these different sprint meetings. But I don't know. It, that's not, it sounded like it wasn't just him that was in this. It sounded like, the, it was like there was like, you know, the whole team was involved yeah, in this all day. That's true. So, I don't know. I would, I would definitely, it's definitely a smell to me. And I would, I would look at how effective so that is. So what do you do in that situation? Do you just kind of raise your hand and say, you know what? I've noticed we're spending a lot of time in meetings. I mean, what, what's, what's the, what's your advice? I'd have to know a little bit more about it, but I mean, I guess the first thing I would look at is, um, Again, there's the temptation to try to – let's assume it's one of these things where you're you're getting everyone in here like one day every two weeks because people have difficult schedules and it's – you can't have uh, an hour meeting here and an hour meeting there. And you got to get it mm-hmm. all done in one day. So there's the temptation to try to cram as much into that as possible. But I think – I would look at is that actually being counterproductive? Um, it, it may be better to not try to cram as much in, even though that's the only day you have. Like mm-hmm. maybe try to do less or try to find other – Try to find other ways to do some of the stuff, you know, figure out what's really critical to, to, to do together. Because, you know, trying to, again, it's like you can't put, you know, nine women, I know I said this last time, you can't put nine women on a pregnancy and get it done in a month. We can try, Jeremy. Yeah. We can try. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, do you also and, think that maybe there's too much detail in some of these meetings? Like maybe they're getting really into the weeds on things that they shouldn't be yeah, for these type of meetings? Solving solving problems too to getting too detailed too much far in advance. Yeah, because I mean, these shouldn't be about problem solving. These should be like, you know, planning strategy, and, and strategy yeah. and, you know, what are we going to have done? What are we not? Yeah. Is there a challenge? Okay, how long is that challenge going to take you to overcome? Yeah. 
you know, not necessarily what the challenge is and, and getting advice on it. Right. Yeah. I mean, that should be separate from everything else. I would think so. That's about all I can say, just knowing without more details. All right. Well, the second question he had or topic, um, I heard you a couple of times mentioning DDD. So I assume, yeah, domain driven design. Can you share some lessons on organizing your domain in a platform where configuration and code live together? Salesforce? Can you ask the question again? <laughs> uh, can you share some lessons on organizing your domain in a platform where configuration and code live together? Oh, okay. Um, well, I mean, to me, one of the most important things about domain-driven design, it's not necessarily even code-specific. You know, so let's talk about, let's, let's, let's pretend that we're talking about Salesforce here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in Salesforce, you've got, wow, let's think of things we have to customize the system. We've got custom objects and, and custom fields and workflow and processes mm-hmm. and apex and triggers and pages, right? All, you know, these are the kind of all the primitives we have to work with. Um, and with domain, domain-driven design is all about really letting the, the domain of the problem you're solving. So basically the domain of your business, the terminology, the, the, the things in your business, um, mm-hmm. letting those things lead the way and really making sure that our communication stays true to the domain. And that follows into really most importantly, I think, the, the, the artifacts that come out of building things. So. The, all the things I just mentioned, all those, all the, you know, the primitives and Salesforce that we have to work with, mm-hmm. because what you don't want is a situation where when you go talk to domain experts, you're you're like, okay, I got to I got to speak their language here for a minute, and so you have an hour meeting with them, you draw stuff on the board, and it's all and they're drawing, they're talking to their language, that's what they know. They're mm-hmm. let's say you're in the, you're in the accounting business, right? So you're talking about you know clients and general ledgers and and ten sixty fives and schedule Ks and K ones or whatever they are, all these things. Um, when you go to, so that's the language they're going to speak, right? Right. And when you, when you go to then build stuff out in the system, I mean, you should see things. You should see custom objects name, you know, tax return or K one or you know, um, chart of accounts and accounts and all the, whatever you know, uh, ledgers and I mean, you should see those words, right? And you should and your Apex classes should you should see things like because Apex is object object oriented language. You should see classes with these domain names and you should be, you should see methods, method names on classes. That's like, that would be named things like reconcile account or whatever. So that's mm-hmm. such that when you are sitting down with domain experts, you can literally show them code and show them these things. And when you're, you know, trying to debug something or figure out, you know, what to do next or what the next thing to build is like, you're speaking the same language. It's um, what do they call that? What is um, Eric Evans came up with this term? Uh, uh, ubiquitous language. And it's the idea that we're using the same language that, to build in that we communicate in. And right. it's the language of our domain. <clears throat> that's the most important thing about domain-driven design. And that's also the thing that it's just kind of my general pet peeve is when things aren't named right or when, you know, the, and I know, th- I, I, get, I know that this is a problem with Salesforce, but when the, the custom object name is now completely different than what its label is or the field's name is completely different than its label because it's too hard to change the name. I mean, I will go to pretty decent lengths to try to go back and change those names to match the label because the worst thing is then to go into look in your Apex code or your uh, even your workflow rules and things like that mm-hmm. and see the wrong names for things because it will never stop screwing with your brain and it will cause you to make mistake after mistake after mistake over the course of weeks, months, and years because... Which isn't a new problem. I mean, I've, I've in older systems, I've seen where they've had like field one, field two, 
and that had a certain type of data, or they've repurposed a field because they didn't. They field didn't. one, field two is less than because you because <laughs> you know you have to go figure out what that means. That's yeah. actually less bad than when. But I've seen fields repurposed as well. Uh, yeah. like, everything stays the column stays the same, but there was a field they weren't using, and so they repurposed it for something else. Yeah. So that's, I mean, I guess my quick answer or not so quick answer to, to how to do it in Salesforce. Um, keep, keep things named correctly and, and use your don't, make sure you're, when you look at, when you go into setup in Salesforce and you're looking through all these things, it should look, you should see your domain all over the place. Yeah. And you should always strive to use the language of your domain as you're building these things out. Not just for the users. I mean, obviously that's important for users to see things, right? Which is why the labels will get changed because the users first and foremost need to see the right names for things. Mm-hmm. But it's really important for the people that work on the system to build it. I mean, it's, it just gets too hard. It, the, the mental overhead of having to translate between your, your problem domain or your business domain and your technical domain become too much. That's why they, we should, that's why we're like, let's just, let's just tear down this wall of there, of there being these two domains. Let's make it one domain. Yeah. And we'll, we'll let our domain drive our design. See what I did there? I do. <laughs> so what do you do in situations where, where the domain is, is really granular and you're trying to kind of bring that up to a higher level? Yeah. Summarize things a bit more or you, maybe, maybe it's too relational and you're trying to bring it back in. You, do you mean your, your, I mean your actual domain? So like what, what's too granular? Let's take the accounting example. Like what would be too let's, let's say you're just trying to adapt your, your accounting and you maybe you have some transactions that are that are too granular and you're trying to bring that up. I mean, do you still try to use the same terminology? You try to like add like summary of transactions or daily transactions and things like that? I, I would think so. I mean, I really again I'd I'd very much strive to I mean there's there's no better compliment than for a, a you know a domain expert or the business person I work with to look at my code and say, Well, I I can tell exactly what that does. Yeah. And now, of course, I'm the guy that will end up with, you know, a ton of three-line methods. Um, I'll abstract a, a single line of code that is some, a bunch of Boolean logic that determines whether an account is, I'm keeping in mind our account, accounting domain here, uh, that an account is um, frozen. I don't know. Like, right. maybe there's some complicated, you know, Boolean logic. Where I've got a, a bunch of ands and ors and parentheses. Well, instead of just burying that in some code somewhere, I'll just make a method called is account frozen. And it'll just have that one line in it. But when you look at the code that uses that, instead of it being this gobbledygook of some regex expression or a bunch of Boolean logic, it's got a method call that says, oh, if account is frozen, then do this. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, just a sim- simple things like that make a world of difference in your code. And it I, also, I you, know what, you know what it does? This is another pet peeve of mine. It removes the need for this stupid ass over documentation, over commenting. If you need a bunch of comments, your code sucks. It's probably not, it probably doesn't reflect your domain very well. And yeah, that's going to be my next thing is it, it, it does seem like, you know, when, when you, when you focus on the domain and, and you're focused on labeling things that make sense to the business, you shouldn't have to comment. I mean, things should, it should be self documenting yeah. in its case. I mean, yeah. unless you're doing something really weird or you really want to describe why this method is, is exactly. or this out, al- or maybe you just want the plain text of an algorithm that you kind of implemented yeah. in code. Those are good uses, yep. I think, for, for and, comments. And I always like to do, I'm not always great at it, but I always like to, you know, a class-level documentation is kind of a, 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 I'll always accept class-level documentation for something. I'll never say, yeah, you shouldn't have written a comment that says what the class does. Nah. I mean, in almost all cases, I'm fine with, you know, a sentence or two of, of what a class does. I still kind of comment out sections of my code just because it's mentally easier for me to, because to, I'll do the, my properties, constructors, they, it all follows the same order. 
I do it for me, but I also do it for someone else coming in. Because I'm going, if you're going to add a property to my class, put it right here in this section up here. Yeah, no, don't, don't it's put it down like, here. It's, it's, all like, it's like a bumper almost. Like, no, nope, it, it is. Don't, yeah, yeah, exactly. Here. Of course, if they're not a programmer who has a sense of aesthetics for their code mm-hmm. and a sense of also understanding how to write maintainable code, they're not going to care about your comment either. They're just going to put it wherever it, if it compiles. They're going to, you know, it's programming by accident. They just keep changing crap until it compiles. They're, they're, they're going to screw your code up. I mean, I, I, I think a reasonably seasoned developer is going to see, especially if they're coming into your project and, and they don't necessarily know what the coding conventions are. But if you've clearly, like if you've got your statics, your, your statics first and then your publics and then your privates and then your constructors and then your properties and then your methods and then your private methods, if you've, if you've got it like that, any seasoned developer is going to instantly your your pattern there and as, as they add things or remove things or move things around they're gonna they're gonna stick with that so for domain driven design to kind of draw a do a comparison so like let's say test driven design which is you're 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 building your test first and you're letting that drive your you know the function that the, so the the working part of your code you're validating so, that it's working so ddd and tdd are not at all mutually exclusive you can totally do both right but it, when it comes to ddd it's really more about correlating I don't know if correlates the right word, but or just kind of drawing the similarities between the real world mm-hmm. domain, the real world business domain, and applying that to your environment, your yep. code, mm-hmm. your config, and everything. Yep. Versus a kind of a methodology for how to approach development. This right. is more about a much higher level of how things should be named and how they should be organized. Yeah. That's, I think, a fair statement. So, what do you do with things like accounts and accounts are, I don't know, customers? Mm-hmm. In your domain, is it just change the label and we we accept account as it is? Oh, you mean in Salesforce? Yeah. Well, we also have record types too that kind of draw another distinction in the domain. But yeah, and, and like I said, I think I mentioned, I think I caveated this, but there's there's going to just be limits of Salesforce, right? So I can't rename the account object to customer, right? And some of that you're just going to have to live with. Just don't. Again, back to my, you know, don't create accidental complexity for yourself. We Salesforce has enough accidental complexity as it is. Don't create more. Do what you can within the limits of the system to you know, have a just a well-designed system. Yeah. And at least a system that doesn't lie to you. That's, that's, that's the worst thing. And that, that's one reason why, another reason why I hate comments, because people go change stuff and they don't update their comments. Now their comments lie. Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> that's part of my, my clean thing. For me, code, I always, I always say that code it should read like a story. You should be able to read it. You know, you don't have to know all the details about something. So abstract that into, like you said, you know, is is this account, you know, active? Yep. You know, the details of how how an account is determined to be active is irrelevant to the person reading the method that says, well, what do you do when an account is active? Yeah. If someone wants to know that they can drill into that method. Exactly. But if you put it all in line, now you're telling, it's, it's like you walked up some store to, to some bar and you sit next to a guy and he's telling you every freaking detail. He's telling you how he sat down and how he ordered this beer. And when all you asked him is, how do you like that beer? And he's telling you, well, I sat down, I had a long day. So I tell you, has to tell you how beer's made. Yeah. And and the first time he had it and all this other stuff, I'm like, dude, if I, let's pop the stack about four levels up. Yeah. That's, well, that's just, that's a great, I guess, reason to, you know, abstract things. And I'm totally okay with one line methods as, because I think the example I gave was, is a good one. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, for example, I mean, you, you just said, like, I don't care necessarily a lot. Usually I don't care why an account is, is just is, is inactive. I just want to be able to, when I'm reading through the codes, you know, see, see that, what happens. Yeah, if it is. yeah, exactly. And that's what that's what 
you know, don't, the domain experts want to. And when you, I mean, I, I'd love to be able to sit down and walk through my code with the domain expert. Let's say we're trying to work out some bug or something, figure out something, mm-hmm. you know, gosh, why is it doing this? Well, if my code's readable, they can say, oh, right there. Uh, you're saying if this account is active, then do this. It should be, uh, if it's if it's not active, do that. Well, they can they can read your code, right? Yeah. And they didn't have to worry about, again, some ugly regex that was right in there or, you know, <laughs> a bunch of weird logic that's just, it's just distracting because that's right. a level of abstraction that we don't care about right now. It's too low level. Right. Now, if we find out that it's saying it's active and we, and it's not, then we start drilling in and we start looking at that. Exactly. Yeah. And it really, I mean, most people's brains can only handle so much abstraction at once and you can't, you know, jumping across around levels and stuff is really distracting. Yeah. And also if you don't abstract that logic out, you're bound to just have it duplicated all throughout your code, which also is going to create bugs. Yeah. I do find that, you know, and I don't write that way. I don't start out with very granular methods. I usually start out with a bigger method. Usually there's some comment before a major section of code. And then part of the refactoring is to go in and pull those out and make them their own methods. Yeah. Sometimes I will forward think and go, I need this to be its own method because I know where it's going. Yeah. But I, I try not to do that ahead of time. I try to just write and then refactor. Because um, things do turn out better that way. I can extract things a little bit more. I can I can figure out what the impact is or how something's reading and what and you know whether it needs to stay in the method or not. I mean, because there's a balance to that. It's not like you can abstract everything and it's just a bunch of one-liners. It's funny. I'm, <clears throat> you know, domain-driven design is not, it's not just about naming things, right? I mean, obviously that's, a, that's it's an important aspect of it. But the funny thing is it's, and it seems simple. I'm like, oh, that's, it's, it might seem obvious, but it's mm-hmm. not obvious. It's not simple. And it's not easy, actually. You know, the, 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 the naming things and, and, before you have a good label, it's, it's once you have a good label for a thing. I mean, our brain clicks, and it's so easy to. It's like, oh, of course, that's what it's called. But when you're when you're you know wrangling through some concepts in your head, mm-hmm. it's, and maybe you're you know you're talking to another developer or a, a domain expert, coming up with the right name for a thing is really important for for that concept to gel for people, right? So for that for to to be able to build on that in future communication and in whatever comes next. Like if you don't come up with a good name for thing, things, I mean, I can't tell you how many memes I'm in where, you know, they're trying to refer back to previous things that we didn't give a good name to, or we mm-hmm. didn't give the right name to. And it just never stops being a communication problem. Yeah. Every time we try to talk about something, we have to refer to this other thing. It's like, oh, you remember that thing where it did this and that and that, and or, or they gave it a wrong name. And people are like, what do you mean? Well, no, we, we, we already have a name for something else. What, we, there's something else that has that same name or whatever. Like, so that's another problem. Like, you yeah. know, ambiguous names or, or duplicative names or, I mean, it, it, this is actually very hard to get this right, but it's just, uh, to me, it's like so critical. I mean, this is what, a, and this is one reason, this is another thing why like, companies that have been through software builds before, like they've been through this, hopefully mm-hmm. if they if they had a good experience anyway. And so they they understand why some of these are important. I don't have to, again, again like do a two-week, you know, masterclass on domain-driven design before I work with them. Right. Well, that's what makes it a little bit difficult in Salesforce because you can... There, there are concepts or there, there are opinions in Salesforce, and I'm not talking just about the account contact concept. I mean, let, let's say you install Financial Cloud or Health Cloud. It comes with a whole set of objects, all pre-named with yeah. its own opinion. Yeah. And um, so you have to kind of work with that. Which, that, that's what, and that's what makes these those packages difficult any, to begin with. I mean, there's also that, you know, the higher ed, um, HEDA, HEDA the PETA is what I call it, yeah. the higher ed data architecture. It's like it's Salesforce, and, and I'm not saying it's not based on their best practices and whatever education experts they have. It probably is, and I'm sure they've. Mm-hmm. And I, in fact, I know for a fact because I was kind of monitoring the development of this, and I even went and was talking to them. Um, they they talked to you know some universities and had some experts on this. 
But it's still that data model is not. It's only. I mean. <laughs> Different well, schools still do different to, things differently. Well, yeah. even even just the concept of an account of contact, when you talk about industries that deal B2C and not B2B, and Salesforce is very B2B. And so you end up with this concept of it's an account, household. It's or, an account, but it's an individual. Uh, yeah, yeah. And it's or yeah. and then you have the household. And and so I'm having to explain the concept of, okay, this is your household, but in the back end it's gonna be an account. Yeah. But no, here's the rub, because I can't change the name. It's an all or one. So I can't say this is your household account based on record type. Because at the top, it's going to say account. Mm-hmm. And this is your individual account. Yeah. I, you'll just have to look at this one little thing here because I can't change the name of that. And, and people just don't agree. I mean, some companies, you know, the like that whole household thing is is what is most natural for them. Some companies, you know, person accounts is the thing that's most natural. And there's mm-hmm. so even just that super high level getting getting different universities to agree on what how to manage just that aspect is something you're not going to be able to do. So like what you're asking me to install this managed package. Mm-hmm. That not only has made that decision, but all these tons of other decisions on how subjects and courses and semesters and grades and how all these things work. Like yeah. it's, I've got to conform to that model. I mean, for some universities, it, it might, and maybe even for like half of them, I don't know what the number is, but there's a lot of them that it doesn't work for. So in your code, do you, do you attempt to abstract it and try to get into the domain? I, I'm just saying, I don't know. I was just, I guess, making the general comment that it's just, it's hard <laughs> It's hard to come up with a package that's going to fit for everyone. Well, I know that, but but given let's say you you're, let's say you're you're dealing with the hand you're dealt, you have a package installed, mm-hmm. and and you have this domain that you got to layer on top of it, and you know this customization that you have to do, and you want to apply your domain to that. Do you abstract yourself, or do you try to just go with the flow and keep everything the same, or do you try to like layer you know your own household class? Or, or you have that because yeah, because if you don't come up with if you don't layer on top of that, or or you could also make here's another option. Um, well, let me say the problem first. The problem is is if you don't layer your own your own domain language mm-hmm. on top of this thing that someone gave you and said here use this because <laughs> they bought a steaks and hookers and it was awesome um <laughs> tomahawk steaks <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> some uh, some wagyu yeah 45 day dry age it was great so we're gonna use this we're gonna use hita you're making me hungry now <laughs> yeah i know <laughs> um if you don't then the problem is you've got the the terminology of your system and then you've got you know, your domain, your actual domain language. And every time you talk about in doing anything with a system, you've got to do the mental mapping in your head. Right. And people are going to get that wrong and people are going to miscommunicate and problems will be, you know, unnecessary problems will be, have, and will have to be dealt with all throughout that system's lifetime. Yeah. So what I wanted to point out, there's an, in addition to, I guess, laying your own things on top of that, which that's kind of, I mean, it's, a, it's something to consider, but there's, man, there's just so, so many I guess problems. I mean, because there's only so much layering you can do and with, again, with these kind of primitives that Salesforce gives you. Like, you can't create a custom object that shadows. And I mean, it's like, I don't know, the abstraction of the custom object. They're, they're kind of... It is kind of a pain because I do, like, let's say I have a collection of households. Then I do have to have a reference to that object, which represents an account. Yeah. And then um, in order to get the binding that I want, because it's, 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 it has to be an S object. Yeah, so I have yeah. to bind to that to that object within the household. And it does get kind of ugly. It feels like I am kind of bastardizing the domain a bit because now I'm I'm not dealing with the household. I'm dealing with this S object record, and I can name it household. But now I've got this household household. Yep, <laughs> I have a household with a property household. That's weird. Yeah. Um, but no, another option is is to, if the system's really important, is to take a look at your existing you know ubiquitous language for your domain, and decide if you can. Uh, modify it to match the system. Mm. You might have things that are just like, yeah, there's no reason why we can't call it that. That 
term also makes com- equal enough sense. Let's rename it to that. So you modify your domain to mm-hmm. match the. Yep. And in fact, one of the tricky parts of dom- here's the, one of the tricky parts of domain-driven design. It's the it's the people building the system and the domain experts, especially where you can't quite. And this is a great example um, where you can't quite the, the 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 technical systems that you're working with aren't quite flexible to express the domain in in the exact way the domain ex- experts would. Yeah, you work with the domain experts to find because you go to them, you say, well, uh, we actually can't. Um. I don't know. We can't, well, I'm trying to think of an example. Can't think of one. Um, I don't know. For some reason, we um, we can't call it this long term you have for it because the system limits us to a 40 character class name. Mm. Can we call it this instead? Is that, what can we call this that that works, that is a good term for it and we can use as our ubiquitous language, but fits in 40 characters? That's it. That yeah. That's kind of an example. And so, you have to work, the technical people and the domain people have to work together to, to figure out a, to flex both from both directions to come up with a ubiquitous language that works. I've got to think that there's also an opportunity for consulting in that a client might be using terms incorrectly and maybe maybe bring them into industry standard for the domain. That, I mean, is, sure. is that is that something or do you just do you just say, this is your domain, so we're going to go with it because this is how you understand it? I mean, I, your, your original question was, you know, should should you, especially if you have kind of not great terms for things, should you look at opportunities to... Read, re, you know, re, well, I mean, label some things. I mean, a lot sure. of us kind of end up focused on a certain industry. So let's say you education, me, financial services, and someone's calling something that no, that no one uses. Like no one calls it that. Yeah. Stop doing that. Right. Do, do you do that? Or do you just say, you're, do, you, do you accept their domain and, and adapt to it? I mean, <clears throat> I guess it depends on the how big and old the organization is. The bigger mm-hmm. and older they are, the harder it's going to be to rename that because it's going to be just, it's just part of their culture. And it may have been there for a long time, and it's printed up in manuals and signs, and so it's it's almost like a can of worms you don't want to open up, or I mean, or do you still ask the question? <laughs> I mean, I, I guess you could present it like, is this something we should look at renaming? And they might tell you, well, yeah, it'd be great if we could, but it would it would that would be in and of itself a three hundred thousand dollar project because we'd have to reprint everything and retrain mm-hmm. people, and yeah, you know, just legions of people have to be retrained, you know, or whatever. It's like maybe not. Maybe it does make sense. Yeah, that's a good point. Again, back to trade-offs. These, are, these things are all trade-offs, and it just takes experienced, <laughs> you know, smart people. No, it doesn't. It too. takes someone working uh, for twenty dollars an hour in some no, some other country. It, it takes a team of a uh, uh, hundred Deloitte resources. I wasn't going to name <laughs> names, but <laughs> well, <laughs> was a, that was what you call a callback in, in the in the business, John. Professional. Yeah. <laughs> Success. Where's my bell? I don't know. <laughs> We have no bell. What? I used to have one. Did you take my bell? I think you took my bell. And a ding for professionalism. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. Well, John. I'm I'm hungry. I'm hungry. I have about, I have about an hour to get actual work done because I have about like four day work, four hour work days this week. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Mom over here. Um, well, so thanks. Those were some good, uh, good topics. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Um, Thank you, Leo. Chuck sent us uh, posted this article that he wanted to talk about, but it's really long and I haven't read through it yet. So that maybe that'll be our homework for this next week. Homework? To, yeah, I didn't sign on to uh, this for homework. No, Chuck, why are you doing a homework, man? <laughs> it was actually it was actually quite interesting. From the I got through probably twenty percent of it. Um, anyway, if anyone else is interested in doing some homework, so they can 
be a part of this conversation and hear what we have to say next week. That would be a good idea. Yeah. I think, you know I think, what else would be a good idea? Reviews? S- uh, yeah. <laughs> Giving us a review on iTunes or whatever, wherever you can give reviews or just a star or a heart or a like or a five stars or whatever. Um, but also, if you've got questions, topics, whatever, we love love to get those. Info at gooddaysurfpodcast.com. Well, I wanted to add to that and say, you know, if, if if you're going to these conferences, especially like Surf Force, where we were sponsored, um, or we sponsored, <laughs> uh, share your stories. Let us know, you know, what you liked about the conferences, what you didn't, you know, if you learned something, if you didn't. I mean, I'd love to get that feedback on how, because we have so many conferences these days. I'd really like to hear back from from everyone about, you know, what you feel is working, either from an admin or developer's perspective. Um, I just think it'd be good to know something we could share. What works for conferences, you mean? Well, yeah, you go to a conference and you're like, you know, this part of it was really great uh, or this yeah. part, you know, this didn't really work out very well. Maybe it wasn't enough detail, those kind of things. And I know we we um, we have quite a few listeners who are either, you know, regular speakers at conferences or are, are, are actually put on conferences or are on planning committees for conferences. So I think that could be useful yeah. information. What else, John? We have a Slack community. We do. Um, so if you're listening to this, it's still this far in, almost two hours, and uh, you haven't joined yet, please come join. You, I'm sure you would... Uh, you feel right at home. It's uh, again, go to our website, gooddaysurfpodcast.com, click on community, and uh, John will get you added. Yeah, it's okay to lurk. You can just lurk. Yeah, no, we have a lot of lurkers. That's fine. There is no requirement of participation. participation. <laughs> <laughs> what else, John? You got any other t- things you need to get off your chest? No, no, no. More no, things I no want to get into me. Oh, okay, black food. Here's some food. <laughs> And to that, John says, <laughs> Good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. <laughs>